Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. This is Radio Influence. The future is now. You've seen Chef Ryan Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. What? This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Hey, everybody. How you doing today? What I want to talk to you guys about today is that you're listening to Duffified Live. It's Friday. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, hey, look, we got a really, really fun show coming up this week. Uh, I really enjoyed my conversation with these guys, and I hope that you guys are going to enjoy it as well. We're going to welcome to the show this week John and Bill Vesper from Vesper Brothers Foods uh, and here, oh, right here in Philadelphia. These guys were born and raised in Philly Southwest. Um, great guys have made an amazing uh, product that they have done to move uh, their father and their family's recipes to the shelf, um, which may seem like something kind of weird, but I really like the process in which these guys have done it. I like the trial and error that they did. I like the, the way that they really, really stood true to the integrity of the sauce and what it is that happens. And look, there's a lot of times that, you know, we get chefs or we get products out there that want to that want to kind of, you know, they, they want to put their stuff on the shelf and they really aren't sure of the way to do it or anything like that. I, I think you guys should have at least a little bit of a listen to this show because I think you're going to gain a little bit of an insight into what to do. OK, so. And then from there, reach out to John and reach out to Bill. And you never know, man, it, it could help, you know, for uh, for a, a, a very, you know, for a consulting fee to have these guys kind of walk you through the process could be a really neat thing. So I just totally pimped them out in that way. But look, it, it's just kind of the way that it works. These guys are really good dudes. Um, and I had a blast talking to them. And I'm super stoked to continue to talk to them moving forward. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy the show. But before we get into any of that I, I really wanted to kind of um, just kind of check in and and see what's going on with everybody and 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 let you guys know that there's a lot of really fun things going on, especially in the food world of where we are right now. You know, we had a whole bunch of James Beard stuff that was coming out that uh, came out in, in, in this year. Um, we're looking at a whole bunch, a whole new list of chefs. We're looking at a whole new list of media awards that are coming out that are really, really kind of neat. Um, there is uh, a lot of stuff going on in the media with, uh, you know, the idea of, 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 of James Beard. I mean, it's a huge thing that, that we look forward to in the restaurant industry year after year after year. And there's so many, um, chefs that are coming out of Philadelphia. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. There's a, there's an article in Eater Philly about seven chefs are cooking dinner for 550 food experts at the James Beard Awards. I mean, that's almost unheard of, you know? I mean, we're talking about, uh, there, there's seven chefs that are out there. We've got, uh, 
Ange Branca of Malaysian BYOB, Sat, uh, Sate Kempar, Diana Wijojo, and Melia Wijojo of the Indonesian eatery Hardania, Andrew Farley of All Day Restaurants High Street on Market and High Street on Hudson, Tova de Plessis of the Jewish bakery Essen, Kate Jacoby of Vegan Standout Veg, Robert Tolan of Urban Outfitters Terrain, and they also get to work with Tyra Banks, who's hosting the whole ceremony. So look at this. I mean, the, the, the way that we are and where we are in food in this world right now, seven Philadelphia chefs are cooking dinner at the James Beard Media Awards. There's something to be said about this city. There's something to be said about what's happening in this city alone. Okay, we have seven chefs. And guess what? They're doing all sorts of stuff. It's not just a guy making a cheesesteak. We're talking about a Malaysian BYOB. Okay, we're talking about an Indonesian eatery. We're talking about classic high street restaurants. Okay, these guys do an amazing job. A Jewish bakery on Essen. And then a vegetarian restaurant as well that's called Veg. I mean, look at the world that we live in where a vegan, a vegetarian chef, a vegan chef is cooking at the James Beard Awards. It's not just about that center of the plate protein anymore, boys and girls. It's really changing. It's, it's, it's a really amazing place to be in food right now because we have so much opportunity, more than we ever have before, for access to different flavors and different proteins and different vegetables from around the world. And one of the coolest things that I love watching right now is somebody who truly stays true to seasonal cooking, somebody who is not using a tomato in the middle of December, okay? Or if they are going to use a tomato, they're doing something to enhance that product in itself. For me, when I make burgers and do stuff like that, I use a salt and herb roast, roasted Roma on my burgers and sandwiches. Pardon me, I'm burping because I've been drinking too much water. But I use those products in their in a rare form or in a raw form that I then turn into a product that's going to work really well. You know, you're buying tomatoes in Chicago, you're buying tomatoes in the Western suburbs out there, and they're just not as nice of a product as you're going to get California, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, all those places where we're getting a beautiful product out of, you know, as well as a lot of these tomatoes are coming in from out of the country anyway, when they're being brought in, they're unripened, Okay, they're, they're, they're pumped with a gas to give it a chemical content and then they're being put onto burgers and people are looking at it like, you know what, a mealy tomato where well, you're doing a tomato in the middle of fucking February, man. What do you expect? What do you expect is going to happen with that? So there's ways to do that stuff. And, and I believe that in the world that we're in with food right now. We have an opportunity that we have never utilized before. We're looking at more creativity. We're looking at better, healthier products. We're looking at better tasting products as well because of the fact that the word global is getting smaller and smaller or bigger and bigger, if you whatever way you want to think about it. To me, the word global is actually getting smaller because I have access at my fingertips to buy a product from anywhere in the world that I want to buy a product. You know, I want to buy... Uh, you know, a, a traditional garlic chili paste, I can walk into an Asian market and buy a phenomenal product, or I can look for a product online and then I'm finding out products that are fermented, that are, you know, uh, ha have a great shelf life to it, or, you know, that's more of a natural product that's being brought into me. That's the type of stuff that I like to see and I like to look for when I go into restaurants these days. So, you know, the number one chef question that people ask chefs is what is one of your, you know, what's your favorite meal to either eat or cook? And my answer of late has really been very simple. I like technique, man. I like technique. I'm, I'm tired of 
of of of of false techniques of of hackery of shoemakery you know that's how i feel about that i i just did a, a show um which i can't talk about but you know i i've been working with a lot of chefs and i'll tell you what there's a lot of chefs out there that are just pure hacks you know these guys don't understand the concept of food cost they don't understand the concept of seasonal they don't understand the concept of a local product i'm not saying you've got to be a local seasonal product or a restaurant all the time but you know what you're 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 hiding in the middle of the country and you're making a fish and chips for me. Like, where are you getting that fish from? Is it a lake fish? Is it a is it a sea fish? Is it an ocean fish? Where's that product coming from? I want to know. You know, don't tell me that it's an, a fresh caught Alaskan cod, because you're in Chicago, and unless that product's coming in and it's twelve or thirteen ninety nine, you're not selling me a fish and chips for nine ninety nine. That's a fresh caught Alaskan cod. It's just not happening. Okay, so. One of the things that I really look for and things that I look into are I look for quality. You know, I look for a, a really nice product and I look for uh, for integrity and technique. Don't lie to me and tell me that it's one thing that it's not. It's because I'm going to find out. I'm going to figure it out. You know, that's my job. That's what I do as a as a chef and as a consultant and and every other part of it. I want the truth and I want integrity and in product. And I think it's kind of cool to see, like I keep saying, where we are this day and age in food because we have so many quality products out there that we can order from. And we as consumers have to be able to hold the restaurants that we're going into accountable for that. I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. I went out to dinner in my hometown. When I come home and I live in a suburb of Philadelphia, when I come home, I try to support the local neighborhoods. I try to support the local restaurants that are around here. And the problem that I find is that most of them just have really shitty food. That's just not good. They've been hacking it up and they've been slopping food on a plate, making it look pretty with a, with a garnish of lettuce and an orange for a long time. It's time for us to stand up. It's time for us to say, hold on. This is not a good quality product, you know, and, and hold the restaurants accountable for it. Um, a lot of food service companies out there offer a tremendous amount of products. There's a really there's a there's a lot of products out there that are available to us every single day that we can get in fresh that we don't have to buy a pre-made or pre-packaged product. OK, and I get it. I'm not trying to say that I'm above that. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to buy a French fry just like the next guy. OK. And if I'm out and it's three o'clock in the morning, I'm not going to question what cheese is being put onto my pizza. Okay. When I'm in a casino and I find secret pizza, which if any of you guys have, you guys know what I'm talking about if you've been to Vegas that way, because there is a great place out there called Secret Pizza. So anyway, um, you know, we we need to start raising some voices and we need to start raising concern and having conversations about this. You know, I say it all the time. We can get 10 chicken nuggets for a dollar, but nobody asks, well, where is this chicken from? What's involved in this product? What is it? You know, we're eating a lot of chemicals and we're eating a lot of antibiotics and hormones and shit that we shouldn't be doing. So, so that's how I feel about that. And I think that's one of the reasons why I really like this week's guest is because they have integrity. You know, they stood behind a product and they sat back and they had very strict guidelines for the, the manufacturer, the co-packer that they were working with. And they stood their ground and they said, we even threw the money away. Like we had a retainer with these guys to work with them to find a product that works for us. So I'm really proud of these guys because not only are they friends, but they're Philly guys and they are wise and, and, and really just good dudes, man. So 
uh, you know, that's what I got to say. So everybody do me a favor and welcome to Duffified Live, John and Bill Vesper of Vesper Brothers Foods. All right, boys, what's going on, man? What's up, Brian? How are you? Good. Not too bad. Nice. So the really cool part about this whole technology thing that we have going on is that we are recording live out of Tampa, Florida, but I'm in Ardmore and you guys are about around the corner from me. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so... <laughs> And when I when I we're called you guys, we're less than ten minutes away. <laughs> we're not even ten minutes away, dude. I was just over in Havertown about seven minutes ago. So, um, <laughs> hey guys, why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you tell me who you are, what you guys do, and how we can get in contact with you? Um, I'm John Vesper, um, one of the Vesper brothers. I'm Bill and- Vesper, the other twin Vesper brother. Um, we make. Philadelphia's local and the world's best pasta sauce, among other things. Um, and you can get in touch with us on all of our social medias are real easy. It's at Vesper Bros Foods or at Vesper Bros Foods. Um, our website is Vesper Bros Cool. And so I, I think I want to start off with one a, a little bit more about kind of in, in the in the business part, like what brought you guys first off, just so everybody knows, I've I've known John and Bill for about the last two years through doing events in Philadelphia, through being a chef. The first time that I actually tasted the sauce. So these guys make sauces and gravies and we can have the gravy sauce conversation in a little bit because <laughs> people are already getting angry because I said that. But the first time I tasted it was actually, I was in the in Whole Foods and I stole some out of the back of one of the guy's cars. So right. that, was, that was kind of the way that it worked out. Um, so why don't you guys tell tell us a little about, about what, what it is that you guys do. John, yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, so like you said, Brian, we, um, we, the pasta sauce is what we're known for. And we grew up working in our dad's deli, um, it's like an Italian deli. Um, if you know Philly, it's hoagies and cheesesteaks and stuff like that. And we grew up doing that, making sandwiches and stuff in the deli. And it was all family business. My mom, my sisters, our, our dad, obviously, us. we all worked there together. And we grew up in that like food environment um, in that little corner store. But we wanted to sort of expand the business outside of that location so we started to package some of the stuff that we grew up cooking in the deli and also outside of the deli growing up in an Italian family and stuff like that so the um, pasta sauce was like our launch product and that's what we've um, come come to be known for Um, so now we sell the pasta sauce in Whole Foods like throughout the whole mid-Atlantic region seven different states we sell um, in some other grocery stores also Um, and so that's kind of our thing now. We're, the deli's still there. My dad's there every day, stuff like that. But my brother and I are really focusing on just expanding the um, what we call pasta sauce business. But we do some other products too. So where where is the deli exactly? The deli is in Wayne, PA. So not too far from where we are now. Um, it's kind of like uh, if you're not from this area, it's on the main line of Philadelphia. That's like um, sort of this like historical. Um, part of the suburbs of Philly. That it's basically like a it's a really line. rich uppity section. 
that yeah, is exactly. pretentious and, and Villanova the University. <laughs> yeah. So wait, I'm just wait. I'm still trying to figure it out. I don't know where your pop shop is. Where and when? Yeah, it's right next to the train station. Like right next to the. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I did know that. It's like that. a little corner store, and it really doesn't fit necessarily in Wayne. Like it's not. It's not uppity at all. It's more of like a hole in the wall type the definition like of a hole in the wall. That's awesome. But he probably <laughs> makes he probably makes great sandwiches. Yeah, yeah. And he was like sort of a revelation for that area when he first started because he started in seventy eight and back then it was sort of like pre Wawa and like all the other like kind of fast food hoagie places and nobody in that area really knew what a hoagie and like what a good sandwich was and he it was grew a up to- in it was a total Philly. Philly thing. Yeah, yeah it hadn't well, really like even made that from out west. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was a, he was completely the new kid on the block. Like he he was born in South Philly, uh, raised in Southwest Philly, and then when he, his parents actually found the, the uh, store for sale there in Wayne, and it was like worlds away from what he was used oh, to, what he grew up with. And so when he got there, he was like literally the new kid on the block, and but people embraced him they flocked to it because it was new it was great and he was busy right from the gate the cool thing about the spot is that his that corner store has been there for over a hundred years like our walk-in box has like a a section above the main walk-in that they used to slide blocks of ice in before there was electricity yeah Yeah. so the, the it's always been a corner store when actually when he opened up in the seventies, there were still like these, um, iron posts out front where people would hook, hook They're their horses, horses up back in yeah. like the 1800s. It was, it's like that kind of history there. So well, that whole cool area, is, like, has he, that. They, they've got those, oh, those it's called a, it's called a hitching post, isn't it? Isn't that what it's the picket post? I'm like I'm like Mr. Google guy. Like I, if I don't know something and we talk about it on air, yeah, awesome. I was right. Okay, sorry. So back to the conversation at hand. So, yeah. so now, Bill, what like what what part? When did you guys? Okay, first off, did you guys work in the deli and you guys like saw your pop? I mean, slinging sauce. I mean, was that like how it came to for you guys? Um, not not completely exactly like that so we definitely we watched our dad um in the deli doing his thing and growing up like it was it was cool to us like we we admired him as a business owner um as you know a guy that that owned his own spot that kind of controlled his destiny a little bit it was different from you know friends of ours whose parents had just a normal nine-to-five job and all of the other stuff that goes along with like being in the food business and owning a food business, as you well know, that, which is sometimes like a negative, like we didn't see it that way, you know, like right. him coming home late on a Friday night or not being there on a Saturday, you know, things like that, like that were norm weren't, weren't normal to everybody else. To us, it just, it is what it, that, sure. that was life. Dad's working. And yeah, exactly. And you know, also being this sort of institution of a business there in, in our area, people 
like everybody loved the deli. So in, in a sense, like everybody loved our, our family and our dad, you know, like people, people are like, Oh my gosh, like your dad's the one that owns John's like he's John. And we're like, <laughs> yeah. Like, so as, as kids, like that was really cool to us. Like we thought that that was, was awesome. And so growing up admiring that it was natural for us to be like drawn to it. So like we, we, our, our mom actually tells people like we started working there from as soon as we could see over the counter. So we would stand there next to her. We probably, you know, 11, 12 years old. We would be, we'd hang out there in the deli with them and we would be standing next to our mom or our dad on their slicer and she would slice lunch meat and put it down on the counter and we would build a sandwich, you know, like because we couldn't reach the slicer, but she would, she would cut the meat for us. We would build the sandwich for people. So, and another real kind of cool thing was, my dad got in this habit, either whether it was my mom or my dad, they got in this habit of putting pictures. And nowadays we don't even think about this anymore because we don't print pictures. Like all the pictures are online, but they would have physical photographs and they would tape them to like the glass, which is, you know, the glass that, you know, separates the customer from the the deli counter. Right. And they would, so there would be pictures of us when we first born, you know, because in a store like that, which is such a lost like commodity these days, all going away. Yes. And, and the thing about it is that customers become family. Like those people got to know my dad. They watched him meet my mom. They watched them get married. Wow. They were a part of their family. So once they had kids, which me, my brother and I were the firstborns and we were twins, it was like an event. So they oh, started sure. putting pictures of, of us as little babies so that all of the rest of the customer families could see it. That's so great. then it just like became this thing and they would put these pictures up of us growing up. So there would be like pictures of us on first day of school or pictures of us in our little league, you know, football uniforms, you know, stuff like that. And still now, like John said, like we still work in the deli here and there and we're, we actually will be 35 tomorrow is our birthday. Oh, happy birthday guys. People appreciate it. And people still come in and they say, I remember seeing the pictures of you guys in your football uniforms when you were seven (laughs) years old, you know? (laughs) So it's like, it, it was really cool for us. So as we got grew up, like got older and could be, you know, a, a real employee, um, we would, we just, it just was natural for us to kind of like stay in the business with him. And then, you know, we, we were trying to figure out like what else, what, what else we would like to do, what other interests we had that maybe we'd want to go to college and get a degree in finance or, you know, some other thing, but all of that stuff, like, you know, Brian, like, that stuff is so boring to people like us, oh you know what God, I mean? Yeah. Like, like we couldn't sit behind a desk all day. You know, there's days where we think we could, or we admire those people, but right. it's just not in us. You know, like we, we want to be around food. We want to be like working with our hands, creating things. So we decided like we wanted to be in the business with our dad. So, so what did, what did, what did you guys do? I mean, did you go to college? No, no, neither, we did. One of we you did. did a semester at college. Yeah. Both of us did one semester. Where'd you Our go? Our dad's with us. 
we went to the community college. Okay, no, nothing. Hey, that's where I started school. So yeah, we, you know, because we the started there because we my didn't know we were going to stay. Yeah, right. Her dad said to us, "Listen, I would love for you guys to come to into the business with me. Oh, well, that's it would cool. be a dream of mine to oh, that's nice. work with my sons every day. But I don't want you guys to feel like you're pigeonholing yourselves. So well, at, if there's the something same- out there." At the same time, yeah. you guys have to take take an income for three families now well, out of right. one exactly. small deli. Exactly. So that was the, the thing. He said, why don't you go get like, you know, sign into the community college, like do a semester, see if something sparks your interest. If it doesn't come back to me and we'll figure it out. So that's what we did. Nothing sparked our interest. We wanted to get back into the business with him. So almost immediately we actually went and um, opened up another store. And then at one point we had three delis, each one of us were in one location, um, running, running the businesses separately. Well together, but you know, obviously running each location separately. Um, and then out of that is what grew the the wholesale business that we call Vesper brothers. Um, so that's a whole other story. (laughs) So, John, when it, when it came to the point, I mean, I, when we were out last time, when I saw you guys, um, one of you guys had the T-shirt on that I love that I still don't have. It's the one of your grandfather sitting down. Yeah. He was on the he was on the docks, wasn't he? Um, no, the it, the one that you're probably talking about. They were at. He was standing like a, leaning on a table, like at this gas station that they used to oh, own okay. Um, okay. in Southwest Philly, and um, that was like our our dad's dad and then his brothers like they were um they were business for themselves too and they had like a gas station and a body shop down in southwest philly and so like that entrepreneurial spirit like obviously grows good yeah it's deep in our in our family roots like from our great grandparents who came from Italy. Like, I don't think any of them had like real jobs. They all like owned their own business or started businesses or whatever. Um, and, and so that's like sort of something that's just that we, you know, like I said, it's in our blood. You know what I mean? When did, when did your family come over? Um, in, I can't remember the exact year, but it was like the 19, 15, I think our great-grandmother came about 1915, 1916. Okay. Um, so you're, our great-grandfather, so, yeah. So you guys are around the same time frame as my grandmother's family, which is like that kind of like six, like 1905, moving up into 1910, yeah. 12, 15, like that time yeah. frame when so many Italians were coming over. And it's so funny yeah. to hear the differences because your family had this unbelievable entrepreneurial spirit whereas my family my grandmother's family worked for dupont like her and she had six sisters and a brother so the brother was the oldest one and amongst them all they had over 120 so this was in my grandmother retired from dupont in whatever time but they had 125 years combined of work for the dupont family Wow. I mean, if you think about it, Incredible. that's, you know, I mean, that's like seven, six people, I think all six kids. And I believe my grandfather worked for DuPont. Wow. 
So like wow. that whole family. So it's so weird to see the two different ways that it comes out. Yeah. Your family comes over as an entrepreneurial spirit. My family comes over yeah. like, okay, let's get a job. Let's have pensions, <laughs> which yeah. I don't know what the fuck. But you know what? Isn't, is, that but, isn't that what's so beautiful though about America? Totally. You know? It's like that. It's, it's the definition of freedom, yeah, you know, exactly. like you're free to do whatever you want. And I always say to people, no one here in America has an excuse. Nope. If you want to work, you can, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and, <laughs> like and not only that, you, you have access to every single thing to find. You know, I've talked to people right. all the time and Gary Van, uh, v, Vaynerchuk says all the time, he's like, mm -hmm. you have the power for your success in the, in your hand. We right. all have a exactly. phone in our hand. We can find a job. We can create a product. We can take all the yeah. shit that we have in our house and sell it. You know, I mean, you have the exactly. access to yeah. it. <laughs> How many guys do you know in the restaurant business that, that own a restaurant or multiple restaurants and they say, I started as a dishwasher? Oh, it's, like, uh, it's, it's all that? over the place. Yeah, you hear that all the time. It's like you got, you just, you start out working you know what i mean and then and you, you continue to like fulfill your dreams you continue to keep moving forward you know what i mean and as you think about it now i mean you look at uh, you know there was um um uh i can't think of his name uh anthony bourdain had a huge and, and andrew zimmern as well who are both huge proponents for you know paying attention to it's great that the celebrity chefs are out there but nobody's paying attention to the cooks that are in the kitchen nobody's paying attention to the prep cooks the dishwashers and what has happened over the last 20 years during all of this time is a lot of these prep cooks these dishwashers have moved up they've started as a dishwasher then next thing you know they're peeling onions now they're working on the line they're working grill they're working fry they're working saute now these guys are the chefs of the restaurants you know yeah. and and 10 years ago he was a dishwasher making six bucks an hour yeah, you know I mean, exactly. there's something to be said for that 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 and i'm gonna say it that immigrant mentality you know yeah, of right. coming into this country and saying i gotta do what i can to make as much fun money to make right yeah right yeah right yeah, you have to start somewhere. You can't look at look down at that and say and like oh my god, like, never. No, I'm going to go to college and not so I get to start out making six figures as soon as I graduate. Like sometimes you just need to start out. Like just get 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 started somewhere. You know what I mean? So now, how does it come that you guys? Okay, so do you guys still have three delis? No, no. we 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 have like sort of um, since Vessel Brothers started. Um, since we started packaging the pasta sauce and selling it, um, we have like, like progressively, um, started putting more and more, not started progressively, like put more time and effort behind that as it continued to grow and sort of phase down the deli business. So we, um, we've closed two. And the original in Wayne is still there. It's still going strong. Um, and you know, we're my Bill and I have been spending more of our time, um, continuing to grow the Vespa brothers business. Um, in the beginning it was like, it was sort of just an idea and it was, um, it was, there was no, um, there was no like real business plan. It was like the, the, jar the pasta sauce that we grew up making and then go out and sell it. And we started right. literally driving around with it in our trunk 
and driving into, you know, the places around like the local stores, the Villa Orchard, Swapmore Co-op, like some of the local wow. places, wow. just like going in with jars of sauce, like you guys try this. If, if you like, if you like it, you know, we'd love to sell in your store and we tell them our story. We got started in our dad's deli, blah, blah, blah. And we, we just started growing the business like that. Um, and, and so like, you know, as we spent more time pushing the Fox, pushing the, the best brothers business, we, we sort of phased ourselves out of the deli a little bit, just, just by necessity, you know? So, at what point do you guys say, okay, this is a, f- well, well, let me do this. How did you go from popping it, you know, making the sauce, throwing it into a jar to, to now becoming distributors and, and, and getting all of this product and like, what, what was your process like? I mean, how did you, I'm just going to ask the question because I, I talk to people all the time and I try to explain you know, the process that I've gone through, like I left restaurants and I went into a development phase where I worked for a company so that I could learn how product gets to shelf. That to me was a learning process. I quit the restaurant business. I took a year. I worked for a couple of complete and utter douchebags. Not going to name the company. They're in, <laughs> they're outside of Philadelphia, but they were douchebags and they, and they were, and, and they were, basically an archaic company that had no idea how to move forward. You know, I created new products for them and they didn't know how to market them. They didn't know how to sell these Mm -hmm. products because they were aggressive. So how do you guys go? I mean, does one of you guys say, well, fuck it. I'll figure out how to get it into a jar and get it on a shelf. You know I mean? Who, like, where did that come from to get to the level where you guys are now? I mean, you guys aren't making, yeah. you guys aren't making Arabiata in your kitchen and, and having your kids pour it into a jar. <laughs> no, not exactly. <laughs> that um, would be awful. You know, the- <laughs> <laughs> Someday. Dude, my girls filled my spices and they used to initial the bottoms of the spice bottles and I paid that's, them that's a quarter so cool. a jar to fill. Yeah. So <laughs> that's cool though. So when we first kind of had the idea, um, and, and I'll be, I'll, I'll tell you the truth that we opened up the third deli in 2005, which was literally probably the worst time since like the 1920s to open up a business. It was right before, you know, the, the recession, it was just awful timing. And, especially in a retail space like that, and you know, in a restaurant type business, you are, you're, you know, you're forced to try to draw people to your business, you know, and it was just really hard. Like it was, it it became tough. So we thought to ourselves, how do we get outside of these four walls and go to, go, go to the people instead of trying to attract them to us? And that's where the idea of let's start to package some of this stuff and go sell it in other stores. So when we decided that we were going to do this, we did think that we were going to do it ourselves. We thought we were going to package every jar in the deli, you know, put all the labels on ourselves, just like you're saying. And so we started down that road and I actually, it took like, it took months anyway, because we, we had no idea what we were, what we were doing, how we were going to do it. So we had to learn all of it. So we bought like all these big, these big pressure cookers that we were going to, you know, do all the, the canning in. And 
we we talked to a we we got a label designed and we talked to a printer and and got quotes for labels and we sourced pallets of jars and and lids for the jars and we were all ready to go and we started to like kind of do the math in our heads as far as this canning all of these products ourselves and in these huge like 32 quart pressure cookers you could do six jars in an hour so we thought we're we're going to be able to do a case six jars in a half an hour we're going to be able to do a case 12 jars in one hour it was it's like this isn't a sustainable business we're not going to be able to do this so it was a major setback like it was it, it we had been researching it for about a year up to that point, making all these phone calls and stuff. And then we stumbled on this, this idea of quote unquote co-packers, which is, was a totally new idea to us. We had never heard of a co-packer. We didn't know what a co-packer was, but basically they package products for businesses and that's what they do. Like they're food manufacturers and so a lot of people think of hear that who are in the business and they think that those people are, are mass producing generic products and putting slapping labels on it, which sometimes they do, but there's also these people out there that will take your recipe and work with you to perfect, perfect it and put it in a jar. And that's what we were looking for. So we, found one person who we thought was going to be able to do it, but we were like really adamant about the ingredients that went into the jar. We only wanted the exact same ingredients that we used at home in the jar. We didn't want any preservatives, no citric acid, nothing like that. So this, this one company said to us, yeah, we can do that. We, we totally can. So we went there, we brought them samples of what we made in our kitchen. We said, it has to be exactly like this. So they tasted it. And the guy that was in charge of like the are like the research and development, he actually said to my brother and I, this is one of the best sauces that ever came through here. Wow. And right then we were like, wait, like, wow. Like that was like a little bit of a win. Like we were like, wow, like somebody outside of our little family kind of just gave us, you know, the thumbs up. About this product sure. that we had. Yeah. So we started down the road with them. We, we gave them a deposit for research and development and we started down, you know, tried to get them to, to perfect the process in the jar. So again, we didn't change the ingredients or anything like that. We just, they just had to change the process of actually getting in the jar. So they make all these samples, they give them to us and they said, we think we got it right, but we have to put citric acid in it. Right. And we were like, we said to you, we don't want anything else except for the ingredients we use in the kitchen. We don't want citric acid. Right. And they were like, your your product is is the pH is too too high. Blah 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 blah. Like it's a bunch of scientific nonsense. But right. the bottom line is, they said we're not doing it without the citric. So we bring the jars home. We tasted them. We taste. We gave them to our family. We got everybody to try to you know say like sign off on it. And I remember like going to sleep that night and thinking to myself, like, this is pretty good. It's not that bad. It's pretty close. I, I, I'm not sure if I could taste the citric acid in it or not. If you didn't tell me it was in it, maybe I wouldn't be able to pick it out. Right. But there was just something about it that just didn't feel right. Like you, I just felt to myself like the integrity of the product was, was gone because right. there was an ingredient in there that we didn't use at home. So 
we called him the next day and we said, can't do it. We, we just, we can't stand behind this product if it's not exactly what we wanted it to be. Right. So we forfeited all the money that we had, the deposit that we had given for the research and development. We went back to square one, got back on the computer, trying to research more co-packers in our area and all that stuff. Thank God we found this company who embraced our vision right away, swore to us that they wouldn't put citric acid in it. And seven years later, we hadn't tweaked the recipe oh a God. little bit. Wow. So it was like a, just a miracle that we were able to find these people that could do it. So right. um, they are, and I say to people all the time, like it's just like we hired somebody to come to our kitchen and make it for us. They just That's make great. it in their facility in like huge pots and kettles. And it's, but it's the exact same thing that we would make in our kitchen. Right. So that's kind of like the short version of the process of like idea to actual production. Um, but I remember, I'll never forget. And John could, could contest to this, the the day that we went, were there at the co-packers in the production facility and hundreds and hundreds of jars were running off the line because there's a minimum of how much these sure. people will make for you. They're not going to make like four or five jars. Right. So there was hundreds of jars rolling off this production line and we were like giddy. Like we were just totally yeah, like I the love first it. jar that came off the jar and like labeled, we were just geeking and we were like, I can't believe this is finally here. We can't wait to get to like show people and we were right. taking pictures and our wives were with us. And it was just like <laughs> we were rejoicing. Like we had finally a done something. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. And this guy, the guy that was, was running the production facility there, he looked at us and he said, guys, this was the easy part. You have the hard part now. Yep. And you got to sell in it. In the moment, we didn't know yeah. what he was talking about, but that's exactly what he meant. You got to go out now and sell this stuff. Yeah, you and, can't let it sit in the garage for a long, forever. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was a little bit of a wake up call in the moment, but it was also like encouragement. Like you got this far now, don't let this thing die. And that's what we did. We just, from day one, we started hustling. Like John said, putting it in the car, just going around selling to people. At one point, once we got into the supermarkets, we were even delivering to Whole Foods and Wegmans and some of these huge oh, supermarkets geez. in our cars. We were pulling right. up to the loading docks next to these like 52 foot semi trucks <laughs> in my brother's sedan, <laughs> taking cases of out of the of the trunk and bringing them through, you know, their receiving doors, and like getting like these side eyes from these truckers who are pulling off like pallets and pallets and pallets. Right, <laughs> right. You're the little guy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But you know what? That's what we had to do. And and then we started working with a small regional distributor. And then, you know, a couple of years later, like continued to hustle the product ourselves. Now we work with the largest natural distributor in the whole world. So it Who are you guys a lot with? of little steps. UNFI. Oh yeah, they're a great company, man. They're they they and they're they are. They've got a they've got a facility up in Lancaster. Right? Uh, in York is like in their, York. Is the closest that's right. In York, PA. That's right. Yeah, because yeah, I used UNFI like, for a little while when I opened up an organic property, and they were a huge. I mean, they've got great product, man. They've got great product. Yeah. So, and yeah, they only deal yeah, with all natural. Right. Yeah, and they have like distribution centers all literally around the world. Yeah. Up in, in 
like Canada, Mexico, like the UK, all over the place. Right. So yeah, there was a lot of little steps along the way. Could, we would have to sit here all day to explain the whole process. Yeah. But it's the bottom line is just hard work. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and that's, and that's something that, you know, in this day and age of, of the instantaneous gratification that we all receive in the matter of, let me take a picture of what I have, let me post it up and then let me check it every five minutes to see how many people have liked it in that moment. You know I mean? It's, it's the way that it works, but you know, and, and it's something that I see with kids. I mean, I've grown, my daughters are 18 and 15. I mean, my girls are, are workhorses, you know, they're both ready to go. I mean, they're, they're, you know, Fiona texted me the other day and said, you know, dad, I, I need money. Can I work for you again? Yeah, absolutely. Can. Yeah. You know, I'm not just going to give you money yeah. that you need, you know, you've got to come right. out and work for it. And so it's kind of funny to watch that compared to, you know, a lot of other kids that are like, well, I just willed it and that shit showed up in my, you know, and I got a new Xbox, yeah. you know, I didn't have to work yeah. for it or a new bike. It's like, right. it's funny shit that just you shows up. We were at this, um, this vendor summit for Whole Foods and they invited there, there must have been a couple hundred, like. Well, local before you start this, around. I want you to do me a favor and tell yeah. tell everybody one of the main reasons why you guys were there. So, well, we are. Well, we were this in 2018. We were um, Whole Foods does a handful of internal awards. So, the majority of the awards are to their internal employees, like you know, employee of the year or or the the new most improved leader of the year those type right. of things um but they give out they give out one award basically to a supplier of the year and so in, in our region the mid-atlantic region they voted us internally voted us as one of the um top three suppliers of the year for whole that's awesome. and that's all suppliers. I mean, and they deal with thousands of suppliers. And for us, you know, this twin brother show to have gotten that kind of an accolade from, from them, it wasn't yeah. like it was an outside voting or anything like that. Like this was the people that we deal with who chose to recognize us as a Which supplier of the year is just, it's massive. I mean, I mean it was especially just, yeah. in a market where you guys are, where you know you walk down the sh- you walk down the you know the international aisle of any <laughs> grocery store, and there's forty feet of tomato sauce. You know, I mean, literally everything that's down there. And if you're not in that, you know, in that second shelf down, third shelf down line, you're on the bottom, man. You know, you're, you're, you're hanging out at the bottom of there or you're up top where nobody can reach anyway. You know I mean? And and so there's a lot to be said about that as a vendor, you know, as a supplier, especially in a whole foods market. Which it's tough for anybody who wants to know, like it's tough as shit to get product into Whole Foods. You know, they have a they have a very rigorous kind of kind of protocol to get your product in there. I mean, I remember years ago I was at the International Seafood Show 
and up in Boston. And and I remember like the owner of the company, this complete douchebag, comes running up to me and he's like, Whole Foods <laughs> is coming. Whole Foods is coming. We've got to we've got to talk to them. And I was like, brother, there's no fucking way we're getting into Whole Foods. I'm just letting you know right now. Like, I know the shit you put in your food. You know, I cleaned up the ingredient statements on my stuff, but y'all's stuff is all ripped apart. Um, right. But it's like it's and then there was a, there was. There was like a, a wedding train of people tagging behind what what was a riot was this dreadlocked 27 year old <laughs> dude who was like the yeah. seafood buyer for Whole Foods. And I'm like, man, he's got more weed on him than anybody that I know. And I got to sell him seafood. I'm like, I'm out of here, man. He wanted nothing to do with us. He knew exactly where. I mean, it's it, it, what I'm saying is it's a really tough process to even to get on the shelf. Right. But yeah, to be exactly. where yeah. you guys are, which in reality started off in your kitchen, is a really yeah. big deal, man. And and what is yeah. your your line started off with just one, right? It originally was one yeah, sauce. We, yeah, yeah, we started with just marinara, and um, now we have uh, five different pasta sauces. Well, pasta and pizza sauce, um, planograms in Whole Foods. And then we have two different, um, like marinated local mushrooms. Oh, wow. and we just launched, uh, um, uh, hot pepper oil. That is like our, one, our recipe that we make, uh, actually produce that in Italy right now. Um, and a chili in a jar, which is made with our hot, like our, our spicy arrabbiata pasta sauce at the base. And then we added beans and a bunch of fresh vegetables and, um, so it's like a chili starter. Basically, you just have to add the meat if you want. Um, and that's in Whole Foods now. And That's great. <clears throat> I was going to say, like, from as far as it goes with getting product into Whole Foods, it is definitely a process, and it takes a lot of time. If anybody's out there trying to get a product into Whole Foods, be persistent and, try, and you know, ask them what, what you need to do next and do it. Don't, like, procrastinate. Don't, like blow off with that, like answer their email right away and stuff like that. And then wait three weeks until you hear again and then answer it, the next email right away. Just keep that. Yeah. You have to just keep at it and be persistent. And the thing that we sort of learned from the deli and have translated into the Vestal brothers business is that business is all about relationships. It's all about like building the relationships with the, with your business partners, like as far as like your like Whole Foods as like our retail partner, or UNFI as our distributor partner, or our co-packer, or the customers in Whole Foods, when we go in and set up a demo and hand out samples and stuff, you have to be authentic. You have to be genuine. You ha- you can't just be like a used car salesman out there just like slinging some product around, like you know trying to just sell as much stuff as you can. Like you have to be authentic. And I think that something that we do really well is tell our story well and our story and the, like the way that we grew up and kind of grew into this business is very authentic and genuine. And like, we didn't make it up. You know what I mean? Right. And I think that from the whole foods buyer to the people that work in the whole Foods stores to the customers that go in there, they like kind of recognize that in us and we've built really good relationships with them, with all of those different people all along the way. And I think that that's probably the biggest um, contributor to our success so far. 
Well, it has so much to say. I mean, look, that's the way, you know, you guys are coming from a world where a deal was made over a handshake. Exactly. You know, there was no, there was no, let's sign a paper. Like I'm in the process of doing something right now. And I wrote up a proposal for it. You know, I was all on my letterhead. It was all documented and I handed it to the guy and he looked at it for a couple of seconds and he folded it up and he put it in his back pocket. He said, how much do you want to pay me? How much do you want to pay me? Like, let's just get it down to brass tacks. What do you want to pay me to do this? You know, and it was just like there was no need. And I said, all right, well, let's sign it. Let's get it all done and taken care of. And he's he kind of hemmed and hauled. And then he calls me back, you know, later that night. And he's like, Brian, look, here's the deal. You know, like there was no reason to go to an attorney or any of the other stuff. He's an old Italian guy. And he's like, let's just shake hands. I trust you. You trust me. Let's just shake hands on this. You know, right. and, and in this day and age and, and coming out of the entertainment industry and getting, you know, and, and the restaurant industry, which is one of the shadiest industries out there. I love it. It affords me a lifestyle. Don't get me wrong, but it's shady as fuck sometimes. But <laughs> what it what it comes down to is that it is it's that relationship, man. For you know, sure. there's yeah, so with, much to be said about that. Yeah, yeah. With your with with the people that you work with and with the customer like we grew up in a business where. We knew people, the customer's first name. We knew that they would come in and say, I'll take my usual. You know what I mean? Or you'd say, right. like, hey, Brian, exactly. you want your usual. And, like, that was the tra- that was the business transaction. You know what I mean? Like, it was this guy coming in for a sandwich. You knew him by his first name. You knew what he wanted. You did bang, bang, bang. And it was all about the relationship. And and in in our opinion, in our, like, world of business, that's how it all should work. You know what I mean? Right. Like you build a relationship with somebody, they trust you, they trust that the product that you're going to deliver is good. And then all that other stuff is sort of just like formality or something. You know what I mean? It right. sort of gets in the way. <laughs> it, and it totally does. It 100% does. But I think for you guys, you know, I mean, there's something, look, when you're easy to work with, you're going to get a lot more opportunities. When you're tough and you know, it, you're not, you know, it, it makes it hard. I mean, one of the biggest things that gets your product out there is sampling. Sampling doesn't cost mm-hmm. the grocery store anything. Sampling costs mm-hmm. you guys money. You know I mean? Yeah, to get right. put on a shelf. I mean, grocery stores don't make their money off of the product that they're, that they're selling nearly as much as they make off of slotting, you know, of bringing mm-hmm. that product in. You want to be on an end cap, it's going to cost you a lot more than it's going to cost yeah. if you're on bottom shelf next to, you know, Bob's $19 tomato sauce that nobody's really going to buy in the first place. This is fucking $19 tomato sauce. But I mean, I know you guys, because I see you guys all the time. You guys are out there. You guys are talking about your product. You're promoting the brand. Your, your, your genuine article is in when you take that sauce and people taste it and they feel comfortable buying you know, and a lot of people don't understand that, that pro- even if you're at Walmart or if you're at Costco or one of those stores, like it costs money to, to put that sample out there and it costs, yeah. it costs you money, you as, as Vesper brothers, it doesn't cost Whole Foods or anybody else that, that money. Mm-hmm. You guys are there right. promoting it. And that's one of the things that you guys do really well. I loved seeing you guys at the event this year at the, uh, at the Philly cooks or at, um, uh, the Philly current event. Like that was awesome. Mm-hmm. And I never thought about that because it's usually just chefs that are there. It's just bars and restaurants that are there, but you guys were there as yourselves and you guys were selling a product that was awesome. 
and that's a really cool yeah. thing. So cheers and kudos to you guys. So yeah, it's a, it's a something that we tell people is like, as far as like the 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 back end of the business deals, we since we grew up in a retail business, like we grew up in the deli, we dealt with vendors on a on a daily basis. Yeah. So we know how the vendor, how we would want the vendor to treat us as the store. Sure. So my brother and I going into it to another store to, as the vendor, we knew how we should treat them. Right. And I think that a lot of people that are in, in our position or people that, you know, are trying to, to sell a product or whatever, or build a brand, they don't get that. Right. They don't get how they should be. A lot of people, especially this day and age, are it's our dad calls it an entitlement complex. Totally, everybody feels like they're entitled to something. So you have people, and everybody makes the best of whatever it is that they make. So, so you know, somebody has the best. I don't know peanut butter or something, and they go in to sit as a vendor to sell to these stores and they're the best. So they're entitled to the shelf space and they're entitled right. to the sales and they're entitled to these POs. And it doesn't work that way because there's no. a dozen other peanut butters behind you that are, that also think that they're the best. You know what I mean? Millions of dollars and of I, marketing money behind it to tell the world yeah. that they are the best. Right, so, exactly. you know, there's, there's a lot to be said about that and, and to be hidden that way. Right. You know, I mean, if you say peanut butter, what's your, what, what is the immediate peanut butter you think of if I say the word peanut butter? What do you think of when I say peanut butter? Skippy, motherfucking Skippy. Skippy owns <laughs> the peanut butter market. I mean, it's just, it's just right. natural. What'd you say? It's true. It's, it is. I mean, I was it's driving, down, I was in West Philly the other day. I'm driving down Lancaster Avenue. I'm coming up on Girard Avenue. So you guys know that section of Philadelphia. Yeah. Okay. Sure, and there's sure. a huge billboard on the left-hand side, right before you get to the A plus on the left-hand side and right before you get to stop and go on your, the other side. And it's this huge uh, uh, billboard for Justin's peanut butter. Like yeah. Justin's yeah. peanut butter. Nobody knows yeah. who that is unless you're standing in Starbucks or you've been to yeah. a Whole Foods before. Like <laughs> Whole that's Foods, where yeah. it is. And they're promoting this product in the middle. They're promoting a $9 jar of peanut butter in the middle of West <laughs> It's like, who put the billboard there? And let's talk about our market. Yeah. You know, right. it's, it's, I just, I, a company that just has money to waste, just has money. And it, it's actually a brilliant <laughs> billboard because it says products shown, not actual size. Like it's a really no, good <laughs> promotion because look, it's a 20 foot jar of peanut butter and it's actually almond yeah, butter, right. whatever it is, but it's just funny. But so, and I, I think. <laughs> One of the things and one of the reasons why I like you guys is because you guys are total family. You know, I mean, you guys mm -hmm. remind me very much of of my own brothers that are twins as well. How far apart are you guys? One minute. Holy shit. <laughs> wow. Hey, boom. And there you go. John, Done. <laughs> John is is a minute older than me. Right. But technically we were we were C-section babies. And so the doctor just decided to take him out it's first. Take, oh. So I had a 50, 50 chance to be the older one. Right. That's so, well, let me ask you a weird question. Though. What is your father's name? John. John, what's his middle name? Brian, don't do it to me. I'm just asking <laughs> the question. Do me like that? 
You guys do me like that? Is his middle name William at least? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no, I guess, and guess what? My son is cold. My, 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 I'm John, that's the third. And my okay. son that I just had two years ago is the fourth. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Bill's like, here I am, but, solo dude. I got this. I got no, this. The, the, fun, the thing about it is that our parents always told everybody that we were we were named after our grandfathers. Okay, so well, they, John, yeah, my grand our our mother's father's name is William. So okay. that's well, I don't know if I'm, and I'm I proud of know, it. But Brian, I don't even know if Bill knows this or not. But when I when my son was born, I was talking to my dad about it, and I was like, you know, like I told him that I was going to name my son the fourth or whatever, John John Lester the fourth, and I was like, what do you, what what do you think about like when you were naming us? Like, did you feel like it would be like harsh for, for Bill to not get like for me to be John the third and for Bill to just be Bill that's for the, the first. <laughs> and my dad's like, you know what? My, my, the honest to God thought that I had was if he can't handle this, he's not going to be able to handle anything in his anything life. moving forward in life. Exactly. Oh, God. It's so true, dude. It's so true. Now, let me ask you a question, though. So, so as twins, I mean, I know that I know I, I see the relationship with twins. I watch it with my brothers. I've told you guys before my younger brother or my, my uh, both of my brothers are younger than I am. But the oldest of the twins, Mike, moved to California first and Tim stayed back and worked with me for a while. And I remember Tim looking at me and he's like, Brian, I got to get the fuck out of here, man. He's like, I got to go to Cali. He's like, I miss Mike. I got to go like they created, you know, there was a relate that, that relationship, that bond and you guys are identical, correct? Mm-hmm. And my brothers are fraternal. Yeah. So now, now John, you have the tattoos, right? Yeah. Okay. So Bill, do you have any tattoos? I do not. Now, what is your, I mean, what is your thought of your brother, your identical brother with full yeah. sleeves? I think it's fine. Yeah. I, I mean, it's fine. <laughs> I, the only reason why I don't have any tattoos and I, I joke about it and I've heard, um, what's the comic Sebastian Maniscalco or whatever oh, he said, he, he said, you don't put a, a bumper sticker on a Ferrari. So I joke about it like that. But <laughs> the fact is I just have different priorities with my money. <laughs> if okay. I had the money, I would do it. <laughs> right. I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, it's, it's definitely cost prohibitive. <laughs> <laughs> They're not cheap, man. I, I mean, I know I've got 12, no. so. I know the I know the feeling on it, um, but uh, to your point, though, Brian, we are um, we moved out of our parents' house into a house together, and then wow. Bill got married first and moved out, um, and then um, I got married a year later or whatever, and I ended up buying a house in Havertown, and then a couple years after I did, he bought a house with his wife, like four houses down from me on the same street in Havertown. <laughs> we're right here. We like, I walked down the sidewalk with my wife and kids down to his house for Sunday dinner. And so like it, we've worked together our whole lives and like, we have definitely stayed close and it's not even necessarily like you probably, your brothers would probably say this, like it's not necessarily something that you sort of like, you like plan out like, Hey Bill, I'm going to move to Havertown. Like you should come look for a house there. It just sort of happens. You know what I mean? It's just like a different type of relationship. 
Well, I mean, my brothers are in business together as well. They own a production company. We've discussed this. You know, they own a production company yeah. in L.A. I mean, and mm-hmm. and they live, you know, they live like five minutes apart from each other. You know, they're not, yeah. you know, I mean, it's not like, you know, one lives. I mean, Tim, Tim, Mike was in California. Tim, he just felt it. I remember him saying, he's like, yeah. I just got to go. You know, and three yeah. weeks later, Tim's gone. He's out the door. He bought a truck and he drove yeah. to California. Um, I mean, there's a lot to be <laughs> yeah. said about that. So are there other siblings? Yeah, we have two younger sisters um, and they're pretty close in age to they're, they're only 13 months apart. And the, the oldest of the two is only like a year and a half younger than us. So, uh-huh. um, my parents got it all done out of the way. Done it, we're Yeah, exactly. In, we're three, three years. <laughs> we're three. All of us are three years apart. So my sister's really? three years older than I am, and I'm three years older than my brothers. But my brothers are 13 minutes apart. So, wow. see um, that yeah. is smart though, because the the it, my kids are two years apart, and even that is tough because like those first couple of years, man. I don't know about you, but those first couple of years are are rough, dude. They like, suck. You don't get any sleep. You yeah. know, like my wife, the my wife, like I would love them to just stay babies forever, and I'm like, man, I can't wait until they're 12. <laughs> Like I, do. I want them to be able to go to bed themselves and to feed themselves and to get up yeah. and like go turn the TV on themselves. You, you know miss it, mean? dude. I, I, my daughter, <laughs> my daughter's boyfriend, my girls are 18 and 15 and you know, yeah. my daughter went to prom on Saturday night and you know, she, yeah. her boyfriend, they drove to Maryland for the after prom party and you know, yeah. I'm on pins and needles while they're driving down there. <laughs> You know, and I, she called me I, when she got there and all that good stuff. But like yeah. this morning I was, I woke up, I was super excited. Well, last night the girls told me that Emily's boyfriend was driving them to school today. I'm like, yeah, that's great. That sucks for him. Cause I'm driving <laughs> him to school. Like I want to drive you guys <laughs> yeah. to school. And I'm like yeah. arguing with my daughter about who's yeah, going to drive them to school because I just really like them. You know, they're yeah. really, really that's cool it. kids. And, and, and there's that's something awesome. that's, that's so fun. Like, don't get me wrong. I talked to a friend of mine yesterday who has, you know, her youngest is six and yeah. she like sent me a picture of her laying on top, like of her, her six year old laying on her. And I sent her a picture back of my, you know, what, when she was 17 of her laying on top of me, you know, I'm like, it's just, there's, there's, there's something that's just cool about that. And don't rush it. It happens. Enjoy the shit out of them right now while you can, because they end up becoming an assholes and all they do is want money and rocks. And it's literally like, I, you, do you have any idea how rich you'd be if you you didn't have children <laughs> it's <laughs> disgusting i paid 380 dollars for a prom dress i paid a hundred dollars to have my daughter's four foot eleven i paid a hundred dollars for her to take 24 goddamn inches off of a four three hundred and eighty dollar prom dress i had to pay two hundred dollars for the goddamn tickets then i gave her a hundred dollars before she went down i was nine hundred dollars in the hole when this kid drove to maryland so yeah, wait till she gets married well, she can get married on her own. I'm good. We've discussed this. We've discussed oh, really? this. And in reality, we have discussed this because I'm like, you know, what would you rather have? Would you rather have a $50,000 wedding or would you have $50,000 you could put a deposit on a house? Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, I'm a super like That's I'm smart. a frugal individual, but I would rather see my daughters get married, you know, on an island 
with 20 of their closest friends around them really enjoying that as opposed to just throwing a massive party because, you know, I mean, I don't know. I'm just weird that way. I'm weird that way. So, you know, I'm the type of person, like my daughter said to me the other day, I said, what do you want for your graduation? And she said, dad, I I said, I was going to buy a laptop for college. Like I was going to buy a Mac. It's like a $2,000 laptop. And she said, dad, you've always gotten us like iconic gifts for big birthdays, 13, 16, 18, you know, and it's usually like Tiffany necklace or a bracelet or something that you keep forever. You pass down. And she said, "I, I want, this is the necklace that I want from Tiffany. And I was like, all right, cool. Great. I'm good. You know, like that's, so it's kind of funny to watch that stuff. So I think they have got a little bit more of the sentimental value out of a gift as opposed to just getting another pair of Lululemon sweatpants. Um, well guys, Hey, I want to thank you so much, uh, for both of you guys. It's hard enough to get one person to take an hour out of their life to sit down and talk. We got both (laughs) of you guys at the same time. So, Uh, so anything for you, Brian, (laughs) except sauce. I can't get the sauce or the goddamn t-shirt, which by the way, okay. So you guys are now the major authority in this world. Is it sauce or is it gravy? And what is the difference? That's a tough one. I mean, uh, especially around here. That's a your Italian heritage question. is at question completely. at this exact moment. Now, <laughs> my brother has a has a um, a very good. Um, he has a really good. Um, what do you, John? Tell them your what? thoughts about this. Yeah, I have a theory. My my theory is I've never heard this before. I think this this is an original. My theory is that when our great grandparents and that, you know, immigrant generation was coming here. It was different than now. Like, and I'm not like judging one way or the other, but nowadays a lot of people that emigrate to the country, America, they're not as pressured to like assimilate. Like they, you know, take their time sort of learning the language and they, and they are like sort of, um, it's almost like celebrated that they're from, that they're an immigrant or that they're from another country and their culture and stuff is celebrated in America. In like the early 1900s, when your grandparents or your great grandparents or our great grandparents were coming here, it was totally not like that. Like it was like racism was accepted. You know what I mean? And like, Oh my God, totally. That were coming from Italy and, and Ireland or wherever they were looked at as like, second class citizens and so, so they were there was like class. Yeah, yeah and so there was like super high pressure to assimilate and right. to like become american and our great grandmother she would have like american flags all over her house and <laughs> she didn't she didn't teach her kids how to speak italian wow. she like refused to speak to them in italian even though her english was really really bad and I think that that story is probably a popular, like that. I think that that was, that that went for a lot of the immigrants at the time. And so when they were like kind of describing their food with like more American terms, like what's more American than meat and potatoes and gravy, like brown gravy. And for our like Italian ancestors, their like meat and potatoes was pasta and some kind of meat. You know what I mean? And then the gravy, it wasn't brown gravy. It was marinara or like some kind of red sauce. And 
they start, I think they called it gravy because it was sort of their way of like Americanizing it. Dude, that's a great, I like that. I really like that. Isn't that I think that's a good, that's that's a good theory, theory, right? That's a good theory. That's a great theory. A like very that. good theory. So, I'll but Google then, it. But it still doesn't, it still doesn't <laughs> solve the, the whole problem of whether <laughs> so or not, nice. is, is it meat? Is, is the gravy with meat? Is it not with meat? I guess in his theory, the gravy would need to have it has to be gravy to have it has to have meat to be gravy right exactly but sauce versus and gravy i think that that's kind of like the the general consensus people say it's gravy if it has meat and it's sauce if it doesn't but you know what i always tell people because people ask us this all the time when we're in the store sampling is it meat or is it sauce or gravy i say i don't care what you call it as long as you buy it it doesn't matter. Exactly. Who gives a shit? Whatever you want. I, I will, I will literally you. take a Sharpie and I will write gravy across the front of this motherfucker. Right. As long as you take a bottle yeah. home with you. It exactly. doesn't matter. You can call this ketchup. I don't care. <laughs> ketchup. Um, so here, virtually all Italian Americans will split along the gravy sauce line. Either one who cares yeah. is not considered to be an right. option. Once you suggest right. that your terminology, meaning the other that you were born into, since only a trader would switch, is more correct or authentic. So basically what they're saying is it all depends on where you're from. In Italy, there's no such yeah. thing as gravy, but we're in America yeah. now. So your theory makes a lot of sense. The sauce people yeah. fire back triumphantly is to add the argument, blah, blah, blah. So yeah. there is no prowl line enough to raise this. I asked Don, Lillo, Don Lillo. I don't know who he is. But yeah, so I kind of, I'm going with you. Oh my God, this goes on for hours. This literally is the longest <laughs> article I've ever there was a There was a girl from, there was a girl from from Philly that wrote a book about it. Really? Gravy Wars or something like that. Yeah. I can't remember what her name is. I, I believe that that book was then sold all through the Italian market. Yeah. Lorraine Rinaldi. Yes. Rinaldi. That's her, that was the, their name. Yup. Yeah, oh, that's so funny. It's actually called like South that. Philly Wars, South Philly Foods, Feuds and Attitudes. And it's actually spelled A-T-T-Y-T-U-D-E-S. So that's pretty <laughs> funny. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Nice. I like that. Yeah, um, yeah. So, guys, where can we get your product? So if we don't live in the Philadelphia or the Mid-Atlantic region, where can people purchase your product? You could find you can if you want to order it online. You could find it on our website, uh, like I said, vesperbrosfoods.com or vesperbrothersfoods.com. Um, we have all of our products listed on there. Uh, in fact, we should. You know what I'll do, Brian? Is I could set up a promo code for for your listeners, okay. so that they could get. Um, yeah, because the, the shipping can be kind of expensive on the glass jars. So I'll set up a promo code. Um, we could, I'll, I'll let you know so you can link it to um, the, the show. And if you're in the Mid-Atlantic region, you can find it at any Whole Foods, uh, Whole Foods market, um, Wegmans in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and then independent grocery stores and specialty markets all throughout the Philadelphia region. Nice. Well, why don't we do this? Yeah. Can you guys use the code Chef Bryduff? Sure. 
And then that'll be yeah. there. That'll be whatever you offer. So people, if you're listening and you want to try the gravy sauce, whatever world you live in, um, <laughs> you can go to Vesper Bros. I'm literally looking at it. Their website is VesperBrothersFoods.com. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you click on there and you can order product. It says contact us right there. There's also, it says shop, store, locator, the story. Everything's up here. There's a shopping cart right here. Um, and then uh, John or Bill is going to put that up there so that you guys can get, I don't know what they're going to give you who knows maybe they'll give you some basil so you can cut it on top of your pasta <laughs> it's up to them whatever they want to do they're going to give you something i don't know but they're going to do something fun for you by typing in the coach chef bride off so there you go all right guys i want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come and hang out with us i really appreciate it um i uh why don't you do one more time tell everybody where they can find you uh and go from there all of our social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, it's Vesper Bros Foods, at Vesper Bros Foods. And then, like you said, the website's VesperBrothersFoods.com. And check us out. Awesome, man. Guys, thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, I will talk to, you, you, uh, talk to you later this week because I got some questions for you off air. All right? <laughs> Sounds good. good. We'll, we'll, talk we'll get soon. you that T-shirt. Appreciate it. I hope so. Yeah. It's an XL. That's all. And I, and I don't live far. You don't have to like charge me shipping or something. I'll just run over and pick it up. I got to yeah, drop spice off to you guys anyway. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll, I'm running good. out tonight. I got to go to AC tonight. Good. So, um, <laughs> all, right. all right, boys, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you later. Absolutely, Brian. Well, thank cheers. you. All right. All right, everybody. So those are uh, John and Bill. Uh, I've been a big fan of theirs for a long time. Uh, there's just, there's something to be said, one, about twins. There's something to be said about that Italian uh, world, that Italian work ethic that is just so prevalent amongst that generation. You know, I mean, the generation that's coming over on a boat and says, okay, well, here's my chance. I got to do something of it, you know, and they got a couple bucks in their pocket. They work their asses off, and the next thing you know, they're opening up a deli. Um, there's just so much to be said about that and so much that I love in that world. It's something that I watched my, my, my father, you know, had an entrepreneurial spirit in his own way. Um, you know, and my grandmother who worked for the same company for years, you know, her, her spirit was really more along the lines of, of, of preservation, you know, self making sure that her and her son were taken care of. So she worked a job for many, many years, retired and pension in the whole nine yards. And we're walking into a world where everybody's an entrepreneur. You know, my fear, uh, is for future, um, what's going to happen down the road for a lot of these entrepreneurs who aren't dropping as much money into a savings account, a pension or something like that. Like that's just a thought on my brain, um, which has nothing to do with this episode at all. I, I have no idea why I even brought that up, but I will say this, that John and Bill, are two hardworking dudes. Um, they're always out there. They're promoting their product. They're family men. It's something that I respect in them. I really enjoy their company and I consider them friends and I'm, I'm pretty glad to, to, to know these guys. So I'm really glad that we were able to get them on here. Um, so that you guys can hear a little bit about their story, which I think is pretty cool. So, uh, that's VesperBrothersFoods.com. You can go to that website and type in the code Chef Duff, and they're going to give you something. I don't know. Maybe free shipping. I have zero idea what they're going to give you, but it could be kind of fun to find out what you get in the mail. Let's do it that way. So everybody, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Uh, y'all know the deal. I want to thank you for coming over and listening to us. I want you to get over to iTunes. I want you to review us. We've got a bunch of good reviews coming up. I checked it this week. I was shocked. We have a couple really good reviews up there. I'm really glad uh, to see 
um, what you guys are saying and what you guys are liking. So I'm really stoked about that. Um, I want to thank the boys down there at radioinfluence.com for their hard work, for their patience with me every single week, um, for all the hard work that they put into here. If you guys have a podcast, they're the boys to talk to. It is that simple. I, you know, Ian Beckles has a great podcast over there. Um, Alan Lane, Mr. Black Moses, he's been on the show as well. He's got a podcast over there. You know, everybody's really working their asses off. Jerry and Jason down there in Tampa do an amazing job. Maggie Gagliardi at Mags Art, M-A-G-Z-A-R-T. She does all of our promo pieces. Go and check her out. You want something really cool? You want to talk to Maggie? She's going to take care of you. Michelle out there at Techno Solutions in Breeze, Illinois. Michelle is a wonderful human being. Michelle understands a vision, and Michelle can build you an amazing website. She can put a menu together like no other. She's a very, very talented individual, and I highly suggest that you talk to her, and that is Michelle at Techno Solution. That's T-E-C-H-K-N-O-W Solution. You want to talk to her. She is a rock star. If you have any questions, you know where to get me. I can give you all the information that you guys need. I'm going to bow out for the day. I want to thank you all so much for coming on. Manja! Do me a favor. Just be fucking nice to people. Bye-bye. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified checkmark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. This is a Sitting Ringside with David Penzer Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Ladies and gentlemen, this week on Sitting Ringside, I want to welcome a gentleman who is a big star in the territories in the late 70s and early 80s and one of the most controversial wrestlers of 1985. Please welcome the continental lover, Eddie Mansfield. Let me tell you, me and that Terry Funk, we were in a riot one night in, in Corpus Christi. Now, Corpus Christi was a rough town, and they were they were packed. And our opponents was Wahoo McDaniel and, and Scott Casey. So, as you know, there's a lot of blood everywhere. And sure. so, anyway, man, here they come. And, and they were they starting to uh, – and we, I said, man, we're going we're gonna to have a ride tonight, T. He goes, well, I'm ready. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> he, he said – and so we, we started kicking them, them, them guys back off the ring and stuff and, and kicking, and we went into the finish and, and you know – did a get a screw finish on on them and and out we went, and there wasn't enough cops to keep them back and they started throwing chairs at us and all that stuff. I said, hey, don't stop Terry, because Terry would always stop and yell at him. And as soon as you tell him not to do something, he's like a little kid, you know. <laughs> it's like sure as hell if you tell him don't stop, he's gonna stop. So we got like thousands of people coming at us, throwing belt buckles at us, chairs and all this other stuff, right? And he turns around and goes. Yeah, you think you badasses? You bring, bring it on! And about that time, boom, he got hit right in the neck with a knife. Ooh! And I looked at him. He looked at me and he said, "Fast, Daddy, they just stabbed me." I said, "I told you not to stop." I said, "Let's go." <laughs> and so we got to the locker room, and he had one of them pen knives. He pulled it out of the side of his neck. He said, "The bastard stabbed me." Can you believe that? Sitting Ringside with David Penzer can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.